Good morning and welcome to Skillman. We are delighted that you are here for this last sermon on sinning like a Christian. As Hannah said, we're going to talk about envy for just a few minutes this morning. I don't know how it's been at your house, but at least at my house over the last several weeks, the television has been tuned in to the Olympics. How many folks have been kind of hooked on the Olympics as they've gone along? There's several of us because it's been amazing to see what has happened. And I think the truth of the matter is the Olympics bring out some of our best moments. And in some ways, the Olympics tell some of our best stories. But the Olympics are never without their controversy. 1936, and possibly one of the most politically charged Olympics ever, Adolf Hitler, with the Olympics being in Berlin, Germany, decided that he wanted to use that moment to demonstrate what Aryan superiority was all about. There was great controversy on whether African Americans would be allowed to participate in those games and whether or not the Americans were going to boycott out of those games because of the restrictions that the Germans were placing upon people that were there. They made decisions, they made compromises, and as you know, you were able to kind of move forward in that and you saw what that looked like. Jesse Owens was a very unusual man. Probably the fastest man in the world, and that had been true for some time, but an incredible athlete that was able to do a lot of different things. He was going to compete in a lot of the races, but also in what is called now the broad jump, but then was called the long jump. He was going to face the European champion, who happened to be a German, a man by the name of Karl Lutz Long. And what could have been a moment of absolute envy because of the rivalry between not only nations but ideologies became a moment of absolute graciousness. Earlier this year, there was a movie released by the name of Race that kind of chronicled the moments leading up to those Olympics and to include what happened in those Olympics. I have a scene from race I'd like you to look at. Take a look at this right now. Up first, the German Lutz Long, reigning European champion. And he's making it look easy. Jesse Owens, I need to stop. Now it's time for Jesse Owens of the USA. We've seen this before from Owens. He wants to examine the track before his first attempts. Owens kneeling on the run-up. Just no! It's a foul! I don't believe it. They've recorded it as a foul. Owens questioning the officials. He's not going to be happy about this. Still, he has two more attempts. Owens makes his second attempt to qualify. Another foul. He stepped over the line. This 
event looks like it might be over for Owens before it begins. Wait. Here's something you don't see every day. Long seems to be offering Owens advice on where to jump from. Owens making his third and final attempt. Owens. Owens. He's done it. And Owens is through to the final. Okay. It's what it looks like when somebody decides to be gracious instead of envious. So what does envy look like? There is a story about a man who was walking along the beach and he saw one of those lamps that looked like one of those Aladdin's lamps. And because he was well versed in the fairy tale, he picked it up, rubbed the lamp and out pops a genie. And the genie says, I am here to give you three wishes, but I'm a different kind of genie. In the process of giving you these three wishes, I'm also going to teach you humility. And so for everything you wish for, I'm going to give your worst enemy twice as much. And the guy goes, not a problem. That's not a problem. I think I can handle that. So he says, I have my first wish. The genie says, go on and give it. He says, I'd like a billion dollars. There you go. He looks, his phone all at once says, hey, your bank account is flooded with money. It's got more money than we've ever seen. We don't know that we can process all of this. At the same time, he gets a Facebook post saying that his bitter rival, his worst enemy, has sold his company for $2 billion. And all at once, and we felt it, haven't we? That little moment in the pit of our stomach where somebody gets something that we don't feel like's quite right. And so the guy kind of shakes it off and says, and the genie says, you have a second wish. He says, great. For my second wish, I want to be young and I want to be good looking, better looking than I've ever been before. And so the genie says, not a problem. And all at once, he is beautiful. He's virile. He's vital. He looks better. Could have been on the front of any People magazine. Might have even been the world's sexiest man. Except he gets this Snapchat on his phone. That same guy that just sold his company for $2 billion is younger and even better looking than he is. And now that monster is raging inside of him. And so he decides, okay, 
I've got a third wish. She says, I'm ready to make my third wish. And the genie says, and I'm ready to give it to you. Remember, I'm going to teach you humility. He said, oh, I know. I want you to beat me half to death. (laughs) Now, that's what envy actually looks like. And envy causes us to do and wish for some strange stuff. Here's what the, one of the writers of Proverbs says in Proverbs 14.30. He says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy, envy makes the bones rot. It's interesting as we look at this board, because as we see it and we see the sins that are associated with it, there's kind of a payoff with all of this. Hate to say it, but with gluttony, you did have Jake's honey butter chicken biscuit that he got to eat, right? You, you got to see what that looks like. With, with greed, there is this payoff of, oh my goodness, there may be money associated with it that I can do something with. Even with sloth and with pride and with lust, there is a payoff that's associated with it. I struggle to find the payoff for envy. Do you? What is the payoff? As a matter of fact, when you hear it talked about, there are terms like, he is green with envy. Dr. Seuss wrote a book called The Grinch That Stole Christmas. You remember that book? They made a movie out of it. Jim Carrey was starring in the movie. There he is. Now, I want you to take a gander at that for just a second. That's what it looks like on our insides when envy begins to take control. Things in our life begin to change in real ways. I'm a fan of classic rock and roll. And Don Henley, who is one of my favorite poets, wrote a song that the Eagles sang that talked about what that looks like. When we get kind of that ugly stuff in us going, when we become envious of someone, how it actually kind of looks, the the words of that song, the verse goes like this, I make my living off the evening news. Just give me something, something I can use. People love it when you lose. They love dirty laundry. And the chorus goes like this. Kick them when they're up. Kick them when they're down. Kick them when they're up. Kick them when they're down. Dirty laundry. Church, I want you to think about this. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of dirty laundry? It's not a great place to be, but unfortunately, it is a place that we sometimes find ourselves in. And so this morning, I want to look at what makes envy so deadly, and then I want to look at how we might be able to deal with it in a way that can be productive and helpful for us. And so I want to look at the three 
faces of envy, if you will. And the first of those faces, if envy makes us green like the Grinch does, envy damages self-esteem. In fact, if you want to be honest, envy is really all about low self-esteem. The more envious you are of someone else, the lower your self-esteem is because it's like pouring gasoline on a low self-esteem. It's, it, there's an interesting new concept that psychologists are talking about. They're using a, they're using a word or a, a phrase that talks about transitional praise. Have you ever heard of transitional praise? You know what a transitional word or a transitional phrase is. It's that thing that connects things together. Transitional praise goes like this. She has lovely hair, but look how terrible her nails look. Or, he's a really good guy, but he's not all that ethical. Why is it That so much of the time when we get into conversations about someone, I have a question for you. Are the people that you talk about, is their name safe in your mouth? That's a showstopper question. It's a showstopper question. Because so much of the time, we are involved in that transitional praise moment. Let's talk about the good, but let's be sure we kind of have that sideways compliment that shows up that just kind of hits them on the side. Because after all, they can't be that good. And if they're that good, maybe that says something about me. Scripture doesn't give us leeway here. We are to be people that if we cannot say it in a way that makes a real difference in people's lives, we don't get an option to talk about. We have the option to talk to. That's it. And so when envy takes control... And when self-esteem gets, gets caught up in that moment, it is one of these destructive things. Do we have an envy problem? Is that self-esteem thing being fueled in the center of it? That's what it begins to look like. So here's the second face of envy. Envy breeds discontentment. As a kid, did you ever read Aesop's fables? I did. I loved them. And there is this Aesop's fable about a dog who has a bone in his mouth, and he comes up to the water's edge, and he sees his reflection. Guess what he sees? A dog with a bone in his mouth. But the bone that he sees in the reflection looks better than the bone that he has in his mouth. He has not put it together. He's looking at the same bone and he's looking at the same dog. And he drops the bone. That's what envy does to us. It makes us become discontented to the point that we will think something else must be better and I need it more than I need everything else. We become discontent. My personal devotional time has been spent in the book of Philippians for the last little bit. And I ran across this in Philippians 4. It's a famous 
passage of Scripture, but Philippians 4 verse 11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I'll be content. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. Where is he? He finds himself in jail. See, it hasn't always been that way for him. In fact, he's been a guy that's been on top of the heap where life has been good and wonderful, where he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the leader of his religious sect. He was in charge of things. He was the one responsible for persecuting Christians. But then he has this encounter along a Damascus road where Jesus asked him that powerful question, why, oh why, Paul? Are you persecuting me? And all at once his life changes and he decides with that same zeal to follow after the Christ. And he has been beaten. He has been stoned. He's been shipwrecked twice. He's been left for dead. And now he finds himself in a prison, not knowing what's going to happen next. And he says to a group of people, Learn to be content. If it takes circumstances for us to have contentment, we are, we are in difficult places. Would you agree with that? Because our contentment cannot be based on how life is. Life is going to have its ebb and flow. And Paul understood that completely. Can I be just brutally honest though? I struggle with that. I find that difficult for me because I find things that I am discontented about at times. It is not something I like about myself. It is not something I like in me, yet I find it still to be true. Now, here's the kicker in that. I'm married to miscontentment. Let me tell you something. I kid about my wife a lot, but let me tell you something that's absolutely true. The most balanced person when it comes to what is going on in life. She has this ability to sit there and say, you know, if something has gone just kind of haywire and I'm off the rails about it, she will come back and say, but look at how God is blessing us here. Can I be brutally honest? I want to go bang my head against a concrete wall when she does that. Because I want her to agree with me. I want her to be as miserable as I am in that moment, but she refuses. And she comes back and says, we have to be balanced here. We have to remember that God's in control, that God's in charge, That God is continuing to work even when we can't see it. It's great advice. Hard at times to do. It's the same kind of advice that Paul gave his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 when he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And listen to this. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Here's my question for us this morning. 
If you find yourself like Paul, and every bit of it gets taken away, influence, power, money, comfort, family, connection, how content are you? How willing are you to be content? And yet, we have these moments in life that remind us of what contentment looks like. This last Sunday, after I finished preaching, Jake and Rebecca had Rebecca's brother Tom with them. Tom is one of my favorite people. Tom's had some physical challenges in life that's made life difficult at times for him. But Tom and I share something that we love together. It is professional Wrestling. Do not judge me. Do not judge me. I know it would be easy to in this moment. But last Sunday, after I finished preaching, Tom remembered something that I had said to him. He walked up to me and he said, Hey, you said you and I were going to watch wrestling together. We haven't done that. When are we going to be able to do that? And I looked at him and I thought about it a second. And I said, Well, what about tomorrow night? And he looked at me, and Rebecca said, Now, if you're saying you're going to do this with him, he's going to be expecting it. I said, I'm in. This is what we will do. And so at 6.15, last Monday night, I came by Rebecca and Jake's, picked Tom up. We went by Scalini's and picked up the pizza we had ordered. I then stopped by. I said, what do you want to drink? He said, I want Sprite. I said, okay, I'll get you some Sprite. He says, I have no money. I said, I got this, Tom. I'm all right. So I I picked up the Sprite, we went, we sat, and for three hours, let me tell you something, I got an education that I never knew that I would get. He knows more about wrestling than I ever thought about knowing, and I thought I knew a lot. And he continued to give it to me as time went on. But you know what, I was, that three hours was so good for me, because it reminded me, you know what, that's what content looks like. The simple things of life that God places sometimes in our world that we can just go and celebrate. And I I called Chris on the way home after I dropped Tom back off and I said, that was one of the best things I have done in so long. Because every now and then, in the middle of our own discontentedness, we need to remember what it looks like to be content. So here's a third face of envy that is difficult for us. Envy is the denial of the goodness of God. How do you feel as a parent when you have your child, and if you haven't had this happen, if you're a a parent with young children, you will have this happen when they walk up to you and they will say, it is not fair Anybody have that little moment that happens when mom or dad sits there and goes, okay, we're not going to be able to do this. You're going to have to go do this. And junior comes up and goes, you don't understand. That's not fair. I had all this I was going to go do. I had it all planned. Why won't you let me go and do that? When that moment happens, what you're really saying and what really is going on is you're not as good as I think you ought to be toward me. Let me put this in terms that we really kind of all can understand. 
We've said throughout this series there's a difference between the symptoms and the sickness. And the symptom that we're describing today is envy. The sickness is when I'm envious, I really don't believe that God has his best in store for me. That I'm not trusting that God has my best interest at heart. Envy literally is turning to God and saying, it's not fair. Why do they when I deserve? Why should they when it looks like I ought to? And we go through those moments from time to time. I have said over and over and have to remind myself, fair is where you go buy a pig. And fair is what you pay a taxi driver. That's what's fair. Because if we are looking for equitable all the time, it is not equitable. Here is what we can count on. God has our best in store for us. And sometimes he will use a myriad of life experiences in order to demonstrate just how good he is. And some of those are not easy. And some of those are incredibly difficult. And some of those we won't consider as being fair. Yet they're necessary. So what do we do about envy? If that's what it looks like, how do we deal with it? So if you have a face that is green with envy and you don't like that green looking face, what's the first thing you got to do? You got to wash that face. You got to take a look at this thing. You have to admit before God that you've got a problem. And we've talked about this a lot. We are resistant to that. We are resistant to talking about the fact that in my life, I have this difficulty and this difficulty and this difficulty. Yet when we come to it, when we sit there and admit, you know what? There have been times I've been discontent. There have been times when I've had my eye on somebody else instead of on myself. You remember during the Risk It sermon series, we had a, we had a brick circle around here and we stood in that circle and we said, the thing that we've got to concentrate on is getting in the middle of the circle and solving what's going on in that circle. As opposed to pointing to what somebody else ought to. And yet very quickly, we will go to somebody else. We have to sometimes wash our face and deal with the stuff that comes our way. Here's the second thing, a facelift for envy. We smile more. Listen, even the Grinch looks better when he's smiling. Romans 12, Paul gives this prescription, if you will, for Christian living. For what it looks like when somebody is living in a manner that is following after Christ. And in Romans 12, you have these words in verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Now, when we are envious, we tend to turn that scripture around. We rejoice with those that are weeping and we're weeping with those who are rejoicing. This last Monday afternoon, we celebrated Martha Shepherd's life in her memorial service in this room. Martha and Joe, members of this church for decades. Danny and Martha Haran and their children, members of this church 
for decades. This good family has blessed this church in so many different ways. And Martha was one of those genteel, loving southern women who understood that passage in Romans 12. And her grandchildren, one after the other, talked about what it was like to call honey, which is what they called her, late at night because they all knew that she was a night owl. And they would call and talk about the good things that were going on in their life. And she would sit there and rejoice with them in that moment and bless them in that moment. And then they would call her and talk about the stuff that wasn't so good in their life. And she would empathize with them and weep with them in that moment. Be with them. Be fully present in that. When we have people who do that. Life is blessed, isn't it? When you have those folks who will walk with you in those moments, who will rejoice with you when you need to rejoice, when you, when you weep with those that need to be wept over. It's kind of interesting. This last, for the last couple of weeks, I've been dealing with a guy who is really unhappy with where he's living. And he's wanted to do something about it. He just couldn't afford it. And and he's been very vocal about unha- how unhappy he is about where he's living and what that looks like for him and how he needs that changed and all of that. There comes a point in time when I will listen to a point and then decide it's time for you to go do something about this thing that you're grousing about. And so with him, here's what I said. I told him, I said, on the second Friday night of every month... There is a group of people that go down to the bridge to feed the homeless. I want you to go do that. I said, on the first Sunday of every month, there is a group of people that go down to the Main Street Church down at Peak and East Side, and they serve and they feed the homeless down there. It's an effort that's being sponsored by our mission committee. I want you to do both these things, and here's what I want you to do. When some of those homeless folks come through the line, ask if they'd like to live in your house. Ask if they'd like to have your house. How in the world can we sit back and be in those places of absolute depression when God has been so good to us? Turn to your neighbor and say, God's been good to me. Come on, you can do it. It's all right. It's, it's, it's the part of the sermon where it's audience participation. And here's the good part of it. God hasn't been better to you than he's been to anybody else. It's different, but he hasn't been better. Because God's got your best in store. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy, and it doesn't mean that it's always going to be good. At times, there's going to be some incredible struggle associated with it. So we got to learn how to smile more and quit being envious about what life isn't like and what we would like about it that's different. Here's the third thing that if you want to, if you want to have a facelift for envy, you need to do stay away from those things that cause a dirty green face. We just got to stay away from some stuff. Leah read it this morning when she did the announcements and the welcome. That passage from 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You know how you put it away? 
Sometimes you just got to beat it out of your life. You can't let it be there. In the 1980s, there was this arcade game that showed up. I think I have a picture of it that's there. Let's see. Yeah, that's called Whack-A-Mole. Anybody ever played Whack-A-Mole? Let me tell you how it works. You get there, you put your quarters in, and you have this mold that pops up, and you hit it with a hammer, and then another one pops up over here, and you hit that one with a hammer, and it's keeping score. It's a, if you're very aggressive, it's a very good game for you. It is a, you get points for how many moles you beat back into the hole. It's a wonderful thing. Here's the truth, though. When it comes to those things in our life, when you look at this board, there's some things we need to, we need to get a hold of. We don't need to keep sinning like a Christian. We need to start living like a Christian. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with these things and they won't show up from time to time, but there will be some difficult things that happen. Here's the crazy thing about envy. We all want to be like someone else, at least to a degree. Here's the crazy thing about it. They want to be like somebody else too. Michael Jordan, early 1990s, was the greatest basketball player I'd ever seen. There is that poster with him winning the slam dunk contest from when he jumps back of the foul line and flies through the air and is about to slam it into the basket. There was a movie about him. There was an ad campaign that says, after all, you want to be like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike except Mike. Mike decided to go play baseball. He retired from basketball, but he couldn't hit the curveball. And all at once, he got himself right-sized and realized, you know what? God hadn't created me to be a baseball player. He's created me to be a basketball player, and I'm a good one. And he goes back and wins three more world championships. When he gets back in the place where he was always supposed to be in the first place, we will spend that time trying to do and be something that we're not. And in those moments, we stay away from what causes that dirty green face. Here's the last one. If you want a facelift for envy, you focus your face on God. Here's what I have found out about myself. Test it and see if you found it out about you as well. When I envy something, it's never something that has an eternal value. Not ever. It doesn't stand the test of time. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, does this thing that I think I've got to have, is it going to be something that eternally is going to bless me and help me be everything that I need to be? Jesus understood that completely. And so in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he says these very famous words. He says, therefore... Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. See, seeking first the kingdom of God is a heart decision. A heart transformation changes who you are before it changes what you do. And so it is learning to seek first the kingdom. And when I seek first the kingdom and I ask the Lord to start changing my heart, what he does is he takes this heart of stone that the world has hardened over time and he turns it into this heart of flesh so that my desires line up with his desires. My eyes line up with the things that he sees. My ears line up to the things that he hears. My mouth speaks the things that he speaks. My hands and my feet go to the things and do the things that God would have me go and do. And, the per- and it changes the person that God would have me be. So our board... Now, if it doesn't fall with me today, I've made it throughout the whole series and I'm good. Envy focuses on need. That's where it starts. Need is something we all have. But as that passage in Matthew chapter 6 says, we seek first the kingdom of God. And we allow all those things to be added to us. But when we don't, envy ensues. Here's the way that we keep from becoming envious. With reckless abandon. Seek after the kingdom. So I started with a clip from race, and I want to end with a clip from race. The long jump competition was one of the best that that the world has ever seen. In fact, of all time, it is chronicled as one of the best events between Jesse Owens and Carlos Long. And I will tell you, there was every opportunity for envy to develop but it didn't because eyes were kept where they needed to be and hearts were focused where it needs to be take a look at this the men's broad jump final German Chancellor Adolf Hitler takes his seat for the event And after a close-run qualifying round, the great athlete Jesse Owens of the USA faces up against Lutz Law. Each competitor will have three attempts with his best score determining the winner. Long's first jump, the reigning European champion. It's a white flag. 7.54 meters. Owens. There's two a white flag. 7.74 meters. 
is over, but the German long seems to share the interest of the crowd here in Berlin in seeing the best the amazing Owens has to offer. This is the true spirit of sportsmanship we're seeing here between these two athletes today. Flag is up. The interesting thing about that friendship is they took a victory lap around that stadium together. Lutz Long was crucified by the German officials because he did it. But when the heart is right, you do the right thing even in spite of everything that swirls around it. So we come to the end of this series. Fulfillment that can go to gluttony, driven which can go to greed, Desire which can go to lust, pride, or promotion which can go to pride, intensity that moves to anger, sloth that ends up happening out of rest and out of need comes envy. And so this morning, we have to make decisions. If we're not careful, these things will absolutely crush our heart. That's what sin does. It causes us to focus on things that we don't need to focus on. But if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are added to us. Where are our eyes 
this morning.